It is my joy and privilege to speak to you this morning about an amazing man named Nehemiah. This was a man who cared enough about people to get out of his comfortable life and seek to meet the needs of desperate Israelites. I've come to truly admire, admire Nehemiah, and he has caused me to get out of my comfortable life and seek to meet the needs of others. George Bernard Shaw wrote, the worst sin toward our fellow creatures is not to hate them, but to be indifferent to them. That is the essence of inhumanity. It's a convicting question, but let me say it again. The worst sin toward our fellow creatures is not to hate them, but to be indifferent to them. That is the essence of inhumanity. And you may be like me and have to admit that you feel pretty good about yourself because you don't hate people, but that's not enough. We need to stop being indifferent to them and instead care enough to stop and help the hurting and the suffering. Nehemiah sets a beautiful example of a heart broken by the suffering of others. And not only broken, but spurred into action. On a day that would unexpectedly change his life, Nehemiah heard about the troubles in Jerusalem and then stepped up to meet the challenge. We read about this in Nehemiah chapter 1 verses 1 through 4. And we'll be in Nehemiah 1 all morning today. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. And for some days, I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Wow. Has your heart been broken by the suffering of people that you may or may not personally know to the point of tears and prayer and fasting as you've watched the pain of people around our world during this season of pandemic. From the outset, Nehemiah shows his tender, faithful heart. Nehemiah was a person who truly cared. He showed his caring heart and determination to meet the needs of people and the challenge ahead in four different ways. The first way he showed he cared was by asking about the Jewish remnant in the first place. He didn't have to do this. As cupbearer to the great Artaxerxes, ruler of Persia, Nehemiah was successful and secure. Well, as secure as you can be when you're the one taste-testing the king's drinks in case of poison. But even that, that job showed his sacrificial servant's heart, a heart that God was ready to use for greater purposes. Because you see, it wasn't Nehemiah's fault that his ancestors had sinned against God and brought judgment 
on the city of Jerusalem and the kingdom of Judah. In fact, Jeremiah, not to be confused with Nehemiah, but Jeremiah, he prophesied 150 years earlier in Jeremiah 15, verse 5. He says, Who will have pity on you, Jerusalem? Who will mourn for you? Who will stop to ask how you are? Who indeed? You see, it was because of their sin that the Israelites had gotten what they deserved. But in his compassion, God chose Nehemiah to have pity and to mourn and to stop and ask how they were doing. And our big idea today shows us that God rewrote Nehemiah's story, taking him from a position of prestige to that of a servant leader again. God rewrote Nehemiah's story, taking him from a position of prestige to that of a servant leader. Nehemiah had held a respected position of high standing and influence in the king's court. He became a caring and prayerful servant of God's people. And to make this more personal, who is it that God wants you and me to stop and ask how they're doing? It's tempting not to ask, and I am guilty of this, because their answer may be uncomfortable and demand a response or actions that I'm just not eager to give. But as Aldous Huxley said, facts do not cease to exist because they're ignored. And Nehemiah did not ignore the painful facts concerning Jerusalem and its returning exiles. He asked about them. And then he cared to the point of tears. I'm reminded of the song that we just sang in which God, we ask God to break my heart for what breaks yours. I mean, seriously, what is it in our world today that breaks God's heart and ought to break ours? Would it be human trafficking? The desperately poor and jobless? The sick, abused, and lost. I mean, we could go on and on, but where is it that God is calling us today? How is he calling each one of us to respond? Verse 4 of chapter 1 says that Nehemiah wept over the brokenness of Jerusalem and her people. Who else do you know in Scripture who wept with compassion. Interestingly, it's not just the tender hearts of women, but strong men like Jeremiah, Paul, and Jesus himself who wept and were moved to tears. In fact, what's the shortest verse in the Bible that children delight in memorizing? That's right. Jesus wept. John 11.35 is where Jesus weeps over the death of Lazarus. Jesus, our God, cried tears of grief, and his tears showed compassion and strength, not weakness. How we must lean on God, because even today, 
God's heart breaks for those who are suffering from coronavirus and the loss of loved ones and jobs. We must lean on him, trusting in the fact he will see us through. And in these difficult days, when God puts a burden on our hearts for the hurting, let's not try to escape or ignore it, because then we may miss a coming blessing. The book of Nehemiah certainly begins with great affliction. But the day will come, as seen in chapter 8, when there will once again be great joy. And Psalm 30 verse 5 tells us that weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And this reminds me and makes me think of the joy that's going to come when the lockdown is lifted. Can anybody else relate to that? I think it's going to look something like this. Absolute, pure joy. Well, the third way that Nehemiah cared after asking and weeping was to pray. And he didn't pray just once. The book of Nehemiah opens and closes with prayer. In fact, there are over 12 instances of prayer recorded in this book. Are our lives saturated with prayer? Speaking of Christians in the church today, Alan Redpath said, There is too much working before man and too little waiting before God. It's too easy to get ahead of God and then look back to him saying, well, isn't this the way you wanted me to go? No, instead, we must get in the habit of praying before we speak or act. It's not our nature, but we must get in the habit of praying before we speak or act. We see in verse 5 of Nehemiah chapter 1, immediately after asking and weeping, Nehemiah prayed to the omnipotent God of all heaven, who is also personal and near to us. And he opens his prayer with, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Does it amaze you like it does me that the God of all creation actually hears our prayers? And not only that, he answers them. Just not always in the way or the time frame that we would prefer, but that's because while we would settle for instant gratification, God knows what's for our absolute best. If you're dealing with painful, painful affliction and suffering emotionally or spiritually or financially, then you need the power and goodness and mercy of our great and awesome God, the same God to whom Nehemiah prayed. Seriously, is the God we worship able to handle what concerns us today? Absolutely. Not only is God great and awesome and hears our prayers, he keeps his word. Looking again at verse 5, we see that God keeps his covenant of love 
with those who love him and obey his commands. Yes, indeed, God keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. Back in Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 27 to 30, God had made a covenant with his people Israel, promising to bless them richly if they obey his commands, but warning them of dire consequences of disobedience. God sets an excellent example for us as parents in making both his expectations and possible consequences clear for his children. He did indeed keep his word. And as a result of their disobedience, Jerusalem, now in Nehemiah's day, stood in ruins. With God's permission, Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed the temple, the palaces, and the walls of Jerusalem. The people were now unprotected and in dire straits because of their sin. The same thing happens in our lives. There are consequences for sin. Looking back at Nehemiah's prayer, the larger portion of it was devoted to confession of sin as seen in Numbers. Chapter 14, verse 18, we see that Nehemiah was counting on God's love and forgiveness of his repentant people. We read that the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. Praise God for his love for us and his forgiveness of our sin. Take note in Nehemiah 1, 6, and 7 that he uses the pronouns I and we, not they. When confessing the sins of a generation, he didn't even know. I mean, it would have been very easy for him to blame his ancestors and others for the sin that was causing the destruction of Jerusalem. Instead, Nehemiah prays, I confess the sins of we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws that you gave to your servant, Moses. When we pray for the sins of our nation, may we not pray for those people for the ways in which even we as believers have contributed to the national disgrace through our words or actions or non-actions. What will it take to bring us collectively to our knees in repentance? Nehemiah's prayer shows his knowledge of the Old Testament law. And in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 1, he reminds God of his words found in Deuteronomy 30. He asks God to remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me 
and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Nehemiah depended on God to forgive his repentant and obedient children, bringing them together once again in their land and restoring to them his favor and his blessing. In verses 10 and 11, Nehemiah prays, They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. This prayer shows Nehemiah's confidence in God's power and strength and attention to the prayers of his servants. Nehemiah also shows his confidence in God's faithfulness. And even though God had chastened the Israelites through bringing Babylon to destroy Jerusalem, God did not forsake them. Earlier in their history, In Exodus 14, God had redeemed them from Egypt by his great power, by dividing the Red Sea so that they could pass through on dry ground. He had also set them free from bondage in Babylon. And Nehemiah was confident that God, because of his great faithfulness, would help them to once again rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And because he cared, Nehemiah was determined to get to work and be part of that great rebuilding process. But he did it the right way. As Warren Wearsby writes, too often we plan our projects and then ask God to bless them. But Nehemiah did not make that mistake. He sat down and wept, then knelt down and prayed. And then stood up and worked because he knew he had the blessing of the Lord on what he was doing. Nehemiah, as we have learned, was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes of Persia. And this close access to the king gave him opportunities for great influence. But because he had chosen to stay as cupbearer to the king, instead of joining his people back in Jerusalem, it turned out that God had a completely different work for Nehemiah to do that he could not have accomplished elsewhere. He did the same thing by using Joseph in Egypt and Daniel in Babylon. Indeed, when God has a plan, he puts people in place to accomplish his purposes. The same is true for each and every one of us. Are we willing and prayerful about how God would use us? There's an old saying from Richard Trench that prayer is not getting man's will done in heaven, but getting God's will done on earth. When God answers prayer, he begins by working in the one who's praying. And he works both in us and through us to see our prayers answered. And in Nehemiah's case, he wondered and prayed about talking to the king. And 
whether that just be a futile endeavor. He knew that the odds were slim for the king to give him permission as a high-trusted appointee to leave his post and travel to Jerusalem. But Nehemiah was confident that God would work in the king's heart. He prays at the end of verse 11, Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. And we see in Nehemiah 2 that through God's intervention, the king does indeed grant Nehemiah's prayerful requests. Nehemiah's life then changes drastically as he sacrifices the comforts of living in the palace and leaves for the stresses and dangers of living in the ruined city of Jerusalem. He leaves behind a life of ease to take up the challenging task of encouraging a beaten people and finishing an almost impossible undertaking. With God's help and Nehemiah's leadership, get this, two and a half miles of 20 foot high and eight foot thick walls were rebuilt in just 52 days. That's incredible given their lack of today's machinery. I can hardly believe it. The gates were restored and the people who were in despair turned to rejoicing. And it all started with a man who cared. The big question for us today and for every day is, are you and I willing, like Nehemiah, to care enough to ask for the facts? Weep over the needs of people around us. Pray for God's help. And then volunteer to get to work. Let me ask that convicting question once again. Are you and I willing, like Nehemiah, to care enough to ask for the facts? To weep over the needs of people around us? Pray for God's help? And then volunteer to get to work? Because you see, God is still looking for people who care. Caring for people's vital particularly in this season. It may be as simple as calling a lonely friend or delivering groceries to a senior citizen or donating to Beach Point's COVID-19 fund. Generous, ongoing contributions from you, God's family, to the COVID-19 fund and the drop-off food pantry have enabled Beach Point and her committed volunteers to provide much-needed food for people both here and abroad. Through the COVID-19 fund, 75 families, that's about 300 people in the Tijuana, Mexico region, have been provided with a week's worth of food. 86 families, that's about 650 people in Kenya, have been provided with over 10 days of food. More than 300 people here in our own church, city, and the community of Oakview receive food every week through the food pantry and the COVID-19 fund. And on top of that, on top of that, 
a life group, along with Celebrate Recovery leaders, purchased over 140 pounds of meat to be distributed to help local families. I'm amazed, amazed and delighted to see the families of God stepping up to make a real difference in people's lives during this crisis. Could this be your Nehemiah moment? Are you going to step up to the challenge? The recipe is simple. Care. Pray. Act. Simply stop. Ask God to open your eyes to the heartbreak around you. Take time to pray about what God would have you to do and then take action. Care. Pray. Act. <laughs>